Light's something I think we take for granted a lot of the time. It kind of is just there, and we don't really realize the big role it plays in our lives. Um, do you guys like jokes? Yeah, I'm a big fan of jokes. I'm going to tell you a joke here. There was once a circus owner, and he was on vacation traveling in a touristy part of town, and uh, he came across a crowd of people kind of gathered around this showman, and he was really curious. So he walked over, and he joined the crowd. And when he gets up front, he realizes there's a table sitting there with a pot, and there's a duck tap dancing on top of it. And so he's amazed. He's like, this is impressive. I have to have that duck for my circus. And so after everybody's dissipated, the crowd's gone, he goes up to the showman and he's like, let me buy your duck. How much would it cost me to buy that duck? I have to have that duck. And after some haggling, the showman finally decided to sell him the duck for $10,000. And the circus owner jumps on that deal because he knows how amazing it is to have a duck that can tap dance in his show. But a couple days later of having the duck, he returns to the showman and he's really angry. And he's like, man, your duck is a ripoff. I put it on a table in front of a big crowd at my show, and he didn't dance a single step. I want a refund, he says. And the showman just kind of chuckled a little bit, and he said, well, you didn't offer to buy the candle I put under the pot. (laughs) He didn't offer to buy the candle. You know, we use light in a lot of different ways, right? Light keeps us warm. Light helps our planet to flourish so we can survive here on Earth. Light, you know, we organize almost every activity that we do by our ability to see what the light shows us, right? And light also can indicate understanding, you know, also known as enlightenment. Can you imagine where we would be today if we had never been introduced to knowledge or understanding or new ideas? You know, every year we get swept up, um, every four years we get swept up in this idea that somebody new is going to rise up and save what's wrong with our country, Right? We keep hoping for a president that's going to change the world. But the truth of the matter is no leader in the history of the world has ever lived up to their promises. You know, even biblically that's true. In every era of history, King Saul turned his back on God and it cost him the throne. King David was a moral failure and he was eventually forced to flee. And King Herod, he was so egotistical that he ordered his own people to be massacred. You know, every human leader in the history of the world has fallen short of their promises. But the good news is that we have hope, right? Leaders will come and go, but God's kingdom will stand forever, right? You know, and when we watch disease and corruption and terror rule the news, it's really easy to shake our fists at God, right? Where are you in all this darkness? We need a light, we say. But when we do that, God grabs us by the shoulders and he says, I created you. You are the light. In darkness, we are light. In this age of modern politics and entertainment and social media, we are the light. In the presence of our families, our workplaces, our culture, we are the light. And our passage this morning is going to dive deeper into what it means and how much it will cost us to be shining beacons of the glory of God. So if you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be in a couple of different passages today, but you can go ahead and turn to 1 Kings. 1 Kings, we're going to be in chapter 19. I'll give you just a second to flip there. And we're going to learn about the calling of Elisha this morning. 1 Kings, we're going to be in chapter 19, verse 19. 
It says, Elijah left there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, as he was plowing. Twelve teams of oxen were in front of him, and he was with the twelfth team. Elijah walked by him and threw his mantle over him. And we're going to go ahead and stop there. The first thing we see with this passage is that Elisha was a rich man, right? He had at least 24 oxen. It says he had 12 pairs, so 24 oxen. And oxen back in the day, they were like cars for us now. You know, a middle-class family would be lucky to have just one oxen. And here we have Elisha, who's got all the sports models and the limited editions, right? He's got a ton of oxen in his possession. We also notice that he was in line with the 12th pair, it says. And so more than likely, he had servants who were tending to the other 11 pairs in front of him, right? They were plowing the other 11 pairs. And we also learn from historical records that he lived in a land that was called the Dancing Meadows. Sounds pretty fancy, right? He lived in a land called the Dancing Meadows, and this was a fertile area of land of what they called the breadbasket of Israel. It was nestled right along the Jordan River, and it was the most fertile and most, it was the best land in all of the country. So we see Elisha is a hardworking, rich, wealthy man. Now enter Elijah, right? We see Elijah, and he calmly walks up to Elisha, and he takes off his cloak, and he throws it over him, which is admittedly a little bit weird, right? Can you imagine somebody doing that to you? Just walking up, throwing their cloak over you. But back in the day, their cloaks were a symbol of their authority, of their calling, right? And so we see here that God called Elijah to pass his calling onto Elisha. That's pretty exciting, right? I would be excited. But we learned in the chapters preceding this story that Elijah was struggling. He was a wanted man. He was not rich by any meaning of the word, right? And he was on the run from a murder-hungry queen, taking handouts from widows and their children, just trying to survive, living in caves. He was in hiding. That doesn't sound very exciting, does it? So now that calling doesn't look so great. Elisha is being called from a life of wealth and happiness to a life of poverty and, and danger. Let's see how he responds. We're going to jump back into 1 Kings chapter 19. It's going to be verses 20 through 21. And it says, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah, saying, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replies. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Elisha heard God's call, and what did he do? He took the 24 oxen that he owned, you know, his livelihood, and he slaughtered them and used their meat to feed his family and his community. And one oxen, by the way, would have probably fed a family of five for up to a year. So can you imagine how big of a feast that would have been? Pretty big celebration. Elisha burns his plow to cook that meat, so now he also doesn't have any job security to fall back on. He doesn't have his farming equipment anymore. He can't come back home if things don't work out with God. There's no going back for him. 
he was the CEO and now he is the unpaid intern, right? He is the assistant. He went from calling the shots to fetching coffee and getting copies. Not so glamorous anymore, is it? The call of Elisha is pretty extreme when we look at what God is actually asking of him. But Elisha knew the promise that laid ahead of him if he was immediately obedient to God. He knew the hope he had if he followed relentlessly. No going back. The story of Elisha's beginning is a beautiful representation of how much God asks of us and how much what he's asking is worth. We are called to leave everything behind when we come to God. Leave everything of our old lives, the sins of our past, our desires of the past. We're called to leave that at the doorstep and be lights in a dark and decaying world. In the early 1500s, virtually everyone believed that Earth was the center of the universe. The sun, the stars, and all the planets revolved around Earth, right? But around 1514, a Polish scientist named Nicholas Copernicus, he came and wrote a book that had a much different theory. He proposed that the center of the universe was not Earth, but that it, the Earth actually rotated around the sun instead. And he said that accounted for the changing of seasons and the rising and setting of the sun and the stars and their movements at night. He said that accounted for all of that information. It made the world make much more sense, right? One of my favorite TV shows once had a line. It said, did you know that the universe contains millions of planets? Millions of planets revolving around millions of suns, revolving around millions of galaxies, all of which revolve around one point in the center of the universe. And that point is not you, it said. <laughs> right? I think there are oftentimes we think everything is it's about us, right? We put ourselves in the, in the spotlight and we think that our desires matter more than anybody else's or more than God's even sometimes. But the world doesn't revolve around us. I'm sorry if I just broke your heart a little bit. But the world doesn't revolve around us. In fact, it revolves around the Son, Jesus Christ. Right? It explains while we're here, why we are here. It gives us purpose in life. And Matthew 5.16 says it best. It says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I love that verse. And I get a little bit nervous when I hear people preach about good works because the message is really easily misconstrued, right? We know we're not saved by good works, but we do good works out of obedience to our Father and to ultimately point people to see him, right? Good works do not save us. Jesus is saying, yes, go and do good things. Go, be kind to your neighbors, serve in your church, serve in your community, love those around you. But no, this isn't about you. This is much bigger than you. Shine your light in order to illuminate your creator. It's not about us, not even a little bit. It's not about us at all. We shine because it ultimately points those in darkness to the glory of our Father. And you know, for a long time, I considered myself incapable of shining light. I knew the trauma from my past. I knew the darknesses that haunted my life. 
I knew my weaknesses all too well, right? How was I supposed to be a shining light for anybody, knowing what my life looks like? You see, I was misguided. You know, I thought that light was a reflection of my perfection. And because of that misconception, I failed to experience the abundance of life that comes from being used by God. You know, the truth, the beautiful truth of Scripture is that God is not calling us to minister out of perfection. Thank you, Jesus. He is not calling us to minister out of perfection. The most powerful declaration that we can make to those who are lost in darkness is that we have been there. And while we were there, we were met by a beautiful loving Savior. They know when all the world sees is our facade of perfection, they know right away they don't belong in church. When all they see is perfection, they know they won't fit in here. But when we live with the courage to be vulnerable and honest with those around us and those who come in contact with our lives— We open our lives for those in darkness to see the light of God within us. That he in his perfect grace encounters, loves, and dwells within broken, desperate, lost people. We are messengers. I like that title. We're messengers. We bring an unchanging truth to the dying world. God so loved it that he sent his only son for the forgiveness of our sins— and the promise of eternal life, whoever believes in him, right? That is our mantra, and we are called to spread it with our lives by speaking it and living it out day by day. And I know we all make excuses. I've made excuses. You know, maybe when I'm older, or maybe when I'm younger, when I've saved enough money, um, if I have enough knowledge or when I've gained enough experience, then maybe I can, I can do that. Maybe I can fulfill that calling, God, but I'm just not there yet. But how dare we tell God to wait? He has no interest in delayed obedience. We learned that from the story of Elisha. He left everything, burned it all to the ground, and he went running after God, God's calling. He didn't care if he was, he didn't feel like he was equipped enough. He knew God needed him, so he ran. He knew God needed him, so he barbecued his farming equipment. He ate his 401k and stepped out in immediate, radical faith. And that's what our lives should look like as well. During the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus looked out at the crowd and he said, okay, I see there's a lot of you people here today. There's a lot of you guys listening to me. And that's great and all, but I don't want you all, he says. Can you believe that? Jesus said, if you're not willing to hate your father, mother, sister, brother, then I have no use for you. Right? I'm calling you to burn everything to the ground, and if you're not willing to do that for my sake, I have no use for you. Jesus laid out the cost for those who wanted to follow him, and it was very clear, very clear, He didn't want anyone who would only go halfway with him and then just quit on him. He didn't want people who would go to war and then quit because they were afraid to die. 
And he closes out this message with this powerful statement in Luke 14, 34. It says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither neither fit for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. We all know salt is good, right? Praise Jesus, because I love salt. Salty French fries are my weakness. So if you want to get on my good side, bring me salty French fries. (laughs) But what use is it if it's not salty? It's just kind of sitting there doing nothing, right? Let me ask you this. Jesus says it's not even good to be thrown on the dirt. Dirt's great, right? We use dirt to grow things in. But if we put flavorless, unsalted salt on the ground, it's going to ruin the dirt. And manure is great. We use it to fertilize things so we can help them grow in the ground, right? But if we put all that flavorless salt over it, what's it going to do? It's going to ruin the manure, That is what Jesus is saying. That's how worthless, he says, an unaltered, uncommitted Christian is. If you don't have the willingness to come to this altar and then actually change your life afterwards, you're as worthless to him as unflavored salt. He wouldn't know what to do with you, he says. If you don't have the willingness to alter your life, he wouldn't know what to do with you. He says, you're not even worthy to be thrown on the ground because you'd mess up the ground. And if he had a pile of manure and you were standing it, he'd be like, get off my manure, you're ruining it. Right? Jesus is looking for disciples. He doesn't need a bunch of little white specks just sitting here doing nothing. Right? I have some salt here. I want to show you guys something. Little packet from McDonald's this morning. Don't tell my husband. (laughs) All right, we're going to pretend this is the real stuff, right? McDonald's isn't going to rip you off. This is the real stuff. Okay, and I'm going to pour it out here on my Bible. It's going to be a little tough for C, but you'll get, the, you'll get the point here. All right, so we've got the real stuff here. This is the stuff Jesus is talking about. This is the real deal. And we're going to say this is the fake stuff. Okay, this is the unflavored salt, the stuff that's just sitting here doing nothing. If this was all the salt you had in your possession, would you want somebody to come and take all of this unflavored salt and do this with it? Well, is there any purpose in this? What's the reasoning for this? I mean, yeah, sure, you could look at it and say, look how big my pile is, right? This is awesome. It's massive. We've got hundreds of people coming. It's amazing. My pile is bigger than your pile, right? But it's a pile of what? all yes (laughs) it's a pile of what useless specks sitting here doing nothing and I know these words seem a little bit harsh but this isn't even fit for manure he says and that is what Jesus is saying he's saying I don't care how big your pile is I don't care if it's not doing what I asked it to do if it's not serving a purpose I don't want it that is our earthly desire. And I get that. I want, to see, I want to see that too. I want to see our church be there. I want to see churches across the globe be there. But only if it's the real thing. Right? Only if it's the real thing. Jesus said, I don't want to see a bunch of people who are going to only go halfway with me. 
And we see that all the time in the world today. They turn away when things get dark, right? People go through these dark seasons in life and they say, why did God do this to me? I am running away unless he fixes this for me right now, right? But he didn't promise us a comfortable life. He didn't promise us a pain-free life. He didn't say we would have it easy, did he? War isn't pretty. The music wasn't right at church today, or the message was too long, or someone sat in my favorite seat. Really? If that is the heart we have when we are in this place together as a church community, then why are we even here? Why are we even here? Can you imagine if a soldier came running back to his commanding officer and he complained, they were shooting at me! Oh man, I'm so sorry, that wasn't supposed to happen. You're supposed to get rich. Right? No, Jesus said, look, I am about to go to the cross for you. I emptied myself of my glory for you. I had angels bowing down for me. And instead, I'm about to go to the cross to die for all the sins of your life. You were headed for God's punishment. And I saved you from that. If you want to follow me, I'll give you the tools to do it. I'll put my spirit in you. And he will change you from the inside out. You will be a new person, but you have to be willing to alter your life and shine my light so that others may come to know me and my Father. You can't run scared when they start shooting at you. Because that's going to happen. That's the war that we are in. The war has been won, but we're still fighting the battle. There is still darkness, and we are the ones who have been commissioned to shine light through that. God calls us to suffer and sacrifice when we follow him. The world will call us fools for risking so much and living so recklessly, but we know the promise that lies ahead when we are obedient to God. Whatever your calling is, it's time to step out in faith and embrace it. How many of you are willing to stand up this morning and say, God, I will set everything I own on fire if you ask me to. If you call me to do that, I do it. Everything, myself and everything I own, belong to you, God. It's not mine anyway, so I will burn it to the ground if you need me to, if it means that I can further your cause. If we don't let it alter our lives when we come up here, it's meaningless. If we don't let it change ourselves from the inside out, it's meaningless. We can come to church on Sunday morning, we can bask in the amazing worship service and the heart-wrenching message and sit in our same old seats every week, but if we don't let it change us from the inside out, it's meaningless if it stops there. How many of you would be really excited to pay $2,500 for a Super Bowl ticket and you get all your goodies and you sit down with your hot dogs and, and your drinks and you're just waiting for the game to get started and it finally starts and you see the two teams come on the field and they get in circles and they just huddle together for two hours and then you go home. Would you guys be happy? 
I would be at the refund booth, right? I'd be at the ticket booth saying, that wasn't a game. That's not what I was expecting to happen. We cannot come here every Sunday morning and huddle for two hours and then go on with our same old lives. There's no purpose in that. When we come here expecting things from God without giving anything in return, we are diminishing the sacrifice we are called to make and the purpose we've been giving. Given. God is not a vending machine. We don't just come to him to get things. When we come to this place or to anywhere in our lives without a heart of humility and service, we may think we have followed God, but all we have done is ask him to follow us. We want things done our way. And that's not what we've been called to do. That's not what our lives should look like. All of this is meaningless if we are not letting it change our lives. All of this is meaningless if we are not pouring into those around us. All of this is meaningless if we are not building relationships and contributing to the cause of Jesus Christ. There are needs that God has specifically equipped and called you personally to fill. He has given you a light, and when we refuse to shine that light, we leave the world around us in complete darkness. Our lights can reach the lost, inspire others, spread love, and change lives forever. Fear doesn't stand a chance when we are with God, so why are we not shining? I call you today to shine your light for God's cause. You know, God's work, it work, word, it works as a mirror, right? It shows us the way we're supposed to live our lives and the ways in which we have failed to live our lives. It defines our purpose for our existence and sets a standard for us to follow. To look at this and refuse it is like waking up every morning and looking in the mirror with crusty eyes and bedhead and smelly breath and just going about our days thinking nobody will notice or nobody will care. But God sees you. And he gave you this so you could see yourself and make a life-altering change. Now is your chance to embrace God and finally make that life-altering change. If you're ready to make a change in your life, and I mean that life-altering change here at this altar, I'd ask you to come forward at this time. And if you just need prayer, come forward. Let's be embraced by the body of Christ, and we will pray with you. And we've got one final song. I ask you guys to take this time to think about what God is calling your light to look like.